Good evening. Welcome to the Just Sleep Podcast. I'm Tasha, your host. Every week, I will read you an old story to help you relax, put the stressful day behind you, and drift off to sleep. Occasionally, we will run ads in order to cover the costs of the production of the podcast. Rest assured, there will be no ads during or after the story. If you prefer an ad-free and intro-free show, you can join Just Sleep Premium. Visit justsleeppodcast.com slash support for more information. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com work. Shopify.com work. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Tonight, I will be reading The Nutcracker and the Mouse King by E.T. Hoffman. So lie down, close your eyes, And let me read you a story. Christmas Eve. 
During the long, long day of the 24th of December, the children of Dr. Stahlbaum were not permitted to enter the parlor, much less the adjoining drawing room. Frederick and Maria sat nestled together in a corner of the back chamber. Dusky twilight had come on, and they felt quite gloomy and fearful, for, as was commonly the case on this day, no light was brought into them. Fred, in great secrecy and in a whisper, informed his little sister, she was only just seven years old, that ever since morning he had heard a rustling and a rattling, and now and then a gentle knocking in the forbidden chambers. Not long ago also he'd seen a little man with a large chest under his arm gliding softly through the entry, but he knew very well that it was nobody but Godfather Drosselmeyer. Upon this, Maria clapped her little hands together for joy and exclaimed, Ah, what beautiful things has Godfather Drosselmeyer made for us this time? Councillor Drosselmeyer was not a very handsome man. He was small and thin, had many wrinkles in his face. Over his right eye he had a large black patch, and he was without hair, for which reason he wore a very nice white wig. This was made of glass, however, and was a very ingenious piece of work. The godfather himself was very ingenious also. He understood all about clocks and watches, and could even make them. Accordingly, when any one of the beautiful clocks in Dr. Stahlbaum's house was sick and could not sing, Godfather Drosselmeyer would have to attend to it. He would then take off his glass wig, pull off his brown coat, put on a blue apron, and pierce the clock with sharp-pointed instruments, which usually caused little Maria a great deal of anxiety. But it did the clock no harm. On the contrary, it became quite lively again, and began at once right merrily to rattle and to strike and to sing, so that it was a pleasure to all who heard it. Whenever he came, he always brought something pretty in his pocket for the children, sometimes a little man who moved his eyes and made a bow, at others a box from which a little bird hopped out when it was opened, sometimes one thing, sometimes another. When Christmas Eve came, he had always a beautiful piece of work prepared for them, which had caused him a great deal of trouble, and on this account it was always carefully preserved by their parents after he had given it to them. Ah, what beautiful present has Godfather Drosselmeyer made for us this time, exclaimed Maria. It was Fred's opinion that this time it could be nothing else than a castle in which all kinds of fine soldiers marched up and down and went through their exercises, and other soldiers would come and try to break into the castle, but the soldiers within would fire off their cannon very bravely until all warred and cracked again. No, no, cried Maria, interrupting him. Godfather Drosselmeyer has told me of a lovely garden where there is a great lake upon which beautiful swans swing about with golden collars around their necks and sing their sweetest songs. Then there comes a little girl out of the garden, down along the lake, and coaxes the swans to the shore and feeds them with sweet cake. Swans never eat cake, interrupted Fred somewhat roughly, and even Godfather Drosselmeyer himself can't make a whole garden. After all, we have little good of his playthings. They were all taken right away from us again. I like what Papa and Mama give us much better, for we can keep their presents for ourselves and do as we please with them. 
The children now began once more to guess what it could be this time. Maria thought this Miss Trutchen, her great doll, was growing very old, for she fell almost every moment upon the floor, and more awkwardly than ever, which could not happen without leaving sad marks upon her face. And as to neatness and dress, this was now altogether out of the question with her. Scolding did not help the matter in the least. Frederick declared, on the other hand, that a bay horse was wanting in his stable, and his troops were very deficient in cavalry, as his papa very well knew. By this time it had become quite dark. Frederick and Maria sat close together and did not venture again to speak a word. It seemed now as if soft wings rustled around them, and very distant but sweet music was heard at intervals. At this moment, a shrill sound broke upon their ears, clingling, clingling. The doors flew wide open, and such a dazzling light broke out from the great chamber that with a loud exclamation the children stood fixed at the threshold. But Papa and Mama stepped to the door, took them by the hand and said, Come, come, dear children, and see what Christmas has brought you this year. The Gifts Kind reader or listener, whatever may be your name, whether Frank, Robert, Henry, Anna or Maria, I beg you to call to mind the table covered with your last Christmas gifts, as in their newest gloss they first appeared to your delighted vision. You will then be able to imagine the astonishment of the children as they stood with sparkling eyes, unable to utter a word for joy at the sight before them. At last Maria called out with a deep sigh, Ah, how beautiful, how beautiful. And Frederick gave two or three leaps in the air higher than he had ever done before. The children must have been very obedient and good children during the past year, for never on any Christmas Eve before had so many beautiful things been given to them. A tall fir tree stood in the middle of the room, covered with gold and silver apples, while sugar almonds, comfits, lemon drops, and every kind of confectionery hung like buds and blossoms upon all its branches. But the greatest beauty about this wonderful tree was the many little lights that sparkled amid its dark boughs, which like stars illuminated its treasures, or like friendly eyes seemed to invite the children to partake of its blossoms and fruit. The table under the tree shone and flushed with a thousand different colors, Ah, what beautiful things were there. Who can describe them? Maria spied the prettiest dolls, a tea set, all kinds of nice little furniture, and what eclipsed all the rest. A silk dress, tastefully ornamented with ribbons, which hung upon a frame before her eyes so that she could view it on every side. This she did do, and exclaimed over and over again, Ah, the sweet, ah, the dear, dear frock. And may I put it on? Yes. May I really, though, wear it? In the meanwhile, Fred had been galloping round and round the room, trying his new bay horse, which, true enough, he had found, fastened by its bridle to the table. Dismounting again, he said it was a wild creature, but that was nothing. He would soon break him. He then reviewed his new regiment of hussars, who were very elegantly arrayed in red and gold and carried silver weapons, and rode upon such bright shining horses 
that you would almost believe these were of pure silver also. The children had now become somewhat more composed and turned to the picture books, which lay open on the table, where all kinds of beautiful flowers and gaily dressed people and boys and girls at play were painted as natural as if they were alive. Yes, the children had just turned to these singular books when, clingling, clingling, the bell was heard again. They knew that Godfather Drosselmeyer was now about to display his Christmas gift and ran towards a table that stood against the wall, covered by a curtain reaching from the ceiling to the floor. The curtain behind which he had remained so long concealed was quickly drawn aside, and what saw the children then? Upon a green meadow, spangled with flowers, stood a noble castle with clear glass windows and golden turrets. A musical clock began to play when the doors and windows flew open, and little men and women with feathers in their hats and long flowing trains were seen sauntering about in the rooms. In the middle hall, which seemed as if it were all on fire, so many little tapers were burning in silver chandeliers, There were children in white frocks and green jackets dancing to the sound of the music. A man in an emerald green cloak at intervals put his head out of the window, nodded, and then disappeared. And Godfather Drosselmeyer himself, only that he was not much bigger than Papa's thumb, came now and then to the door of the castle, looked about him, and then went in again. Fred, with his arms resting upon the table, gazed at the beautiful castle and the little walking and dancing figures and then said, Godfather Drosselmeyer, let me go into your castle. The counsellor gave him to understand that that could not be done. And he was right, for it was foolish in Fred who wished to go into a castle, which with all its golden turrets was not as high as his head. Fred saw that likewise himself. After a while, as the men and women kept walking back and forth, and the children danced, and the emerald man looked out at his window, and Godfather Drosselmeyer came to the door, and all without the least change, Fred called out impatiently, Godfather Drosselmeyer, come out this time at the other door. That can never be, dear Fred, said the counsellor. Well then, continued Frederick, let the green man who peeps out at the window walk about with the rest. And that can never be rejoined the counsellor. Then the children must come down, cried Fred. I want to see them nearer. All that can never be, I say, replied the counsellor, a little out of humour. As the mechanism is made, so it must remain. So, cried Fred in a drawling tone, all that can never be. Listen, Godfather Drosselmeyer, if your little dressed-up figures in the castle there could do nothing else but always the same thing, They're not good for much, and I care very little about them. Now give me my hussars, who can manoeuvre backward and forward as I order them, and are not shut up in a house. With this, he darted towards a large table, drew up his regiment upon their silver horses, and let them trot and gallop and cut and slash to his heart's content. Maria also had softly stolen away, for she too was soon tired of the sauntering and dancing puppets in the castle. but. As she was very amiable and good, she did not wish it to be observed so plainly in her as it was in her brother, Fred. Councillor Drosselmeyer turned to the parents and said, somewhat angrily, 
An ingenious work like this was not made for stupid children. I will put up my castle again and carry it home. But their mother now stepped forward and desired to see the secret mechanism and curious works by which the little figures were set in motion. The counsellor took it all apart and then put it together again. While he was employed in this manner, he became good-natured once more and gave the children some nice men and women with gilt faces, hands and feet. They were all made of sweet thorn and smelt like gingerbread, at which Frederick and Maria were greatly delighted. At their mother's request, the elder sister Louise had put on the new dress which had been given to her, and she looked most charmingly in it. But Maria, when it came to her turn, thought she would like to look at hers a little while longer as it hung. This was readily permitted. The Favourite The truth is, Maria was unwilling to leave the table then because she had discovered something upon it which no one had yet remarked. By the marching out of Fred's hussars, who had been drawn up close to the tree, a curious little man came into view, who stood there, silent and retired, as if he were waiting quietly for his turn to be noticed. It must be confessed, a great deal could not be said in favour of the beauty of his figure, for not only was his rather broad, stout body out of all proportion to the little slim legs that carried it, but his head was by far too large for either. A genteel dress went a great way to compensate for these defects, and led to the belief that he must be a man of taste and good breeding. He wore Hazar's jacket of beautiful, brilliant violet, fastened together with white loops and buttons, pantaloons of exactly the same colour, and the neatest boots that ever graced the foot of a student or an officer. They fitted as tight to his little legs as if they were painted upon them. It was laughable to see that in addition to this handsome apparel, he had hung upon his back a narrow clumsy cloak that looked as if it were made of wood, and upon his head he wore a woodman's cap. But Maria remembered that Godfather Drosselmeyer wore an old shabby cloak and an ugly cap, and still he was a dear, dear godfather. Maria could not help thinking also that even if Godfather Drosselmeyer were in other respects as well-dressed as this little fellow, yet after all, he would not look half so handsome as he. The longer Maria gazed upon the little man whom she had taken a liking to at first sight, the more she was sensible how much good nature and friendliness was expressed in his features. Nothing but kindness and benevolence shone in his clear green, though somewhat too prominent eyes. It was very becoming to the man that he wore about his chin a nicely trimmed beard of white cotton, for by this the sweet smile upon his deep red lips was rendered much more striking. Ah, dear father, exclaimed Maria at last, to whom belongs that charming little man by the tree there? He shall work industriously for you all, dear child, said her father. He can crack the hardest nuts with his teeth and he belongs as well to Louise as to you and Fred. With these words her father took him carefully from the table and raised up his wooden cloak, whereupon the little man stretched his mouth wide open and showed two rows of very white, sharp teeth. At her father's bidding, Maria put in a nut and crack. The man had bitten it in two so that the shell fell off and Maria caught the sweet kernel in her hand. 
Maria and the other two children were now informed that this dainty little man came of the family of nutcrackers and practiced the profession of his forefathers. Maria was overjoyed at what she heard, and her father said, Dear Maria, since friend Nutcracker is so great a favourite with you, I place him under your particular care and keeping. Although, as I said before, Louise and Fred shall have as much right to his services as you. Maria took him immediately in her arms and set him to cracking nuts, but she picked out the smallest, that the little fellow need not stretch his mouth open so wide, which in truth was not very becoming to him. Louise sat down by her, and friend Nutcracker must perform the same service for her too, which he seemed to do quite willingly, for he kept smiling all the while very pleasantly. In the meantime, Fred had become tired of riding and parading his hussars, and when he heard the nuts crack so merrily, he ran to his sister and laughed very heartily at the droll little man, who now, since Fred must have a share in the sport, passed from hand to hand, and thus there was no end to his labour. Fred always chose the biggest and hardest nuts, and all at once, crack, crack it went, and three teeth fell out of Nutcracker's mouth, and his whole underjaw became loose and rickety. Ah, my poor dear Nutcracker, said Maria, and snatched him out of Fred's hands. That's a stupid fellow, said Fred. He wants to be a Nutcracker and has poor teeth. He don't understand his trade. Give him to me, Maria. He shall crack nuts for me if he loses all his teeth and his whole chin in the bargain. Why make such a fuss about such a fellow? No, no, exclaimed Maria, weeping. You shall not have my dear Nutcracker. See how sorrowfully he looks at me and shows me his poor mouth. But you are a hard-hearted fellow. You beat your horses, yes, and lately you had one of your soldiers shot through the head. That's all right, said Fred, though you don't understand it. A nutcracker belongs as much to me as to you, so let me have him. Maria began to cry bitterly and rolled up the sick nutcracker as quickly as she could in her little pocket handkerchief. Their parents now came up with Godfather Drosselmeyer. The latter, to Maria's great distress, took Fred's part. But her father said, I've placed Nutcracker expressly under Maria's protection, and as I see that he's now greatly in need of it, I give her full authority over him, and no one must dispute it. Besides, I wonder at Fred that he should require further duty from one who's been maimed in the service. As a good soldier, he ought to know that the wounded are not expected to take their place in the ranks. Fred was much ashamed, and without troubling himself further about nuts or nutcracker, stole around to the opposite end of the table, where his hussars, after stationing suitable outposts, had encamped for the night. Maria collected together nutcracker's lost teeth, tied up his wounded chin with a nice white ribbon which she had taken from her dress, and then wrapped up the little fellow more carefully than ever in her handkerchief, for he looked very pale and frightened. Thus she held him, rocking him in her arms like a little child, while she looked over the beautiful pictures of the new picture book, which she found among her other Christmas gifts. Contrary to her usual disposition, she showed some ill temper towards Father Drosselmeyer, who kept continually laughing at her, and asked again and again how it was that she liked to caress such an ugly little fellow. That singular comparison with Drosselmeyer which she made when her eyes first fell upon Nutcracker, now came again into her mind, 
and she said very seriously, Who knows, dear godfather, if you were dressed like my sweet nutcracker and had on such bright little boots, who knows, but you would then be as handsome as he is. Marie could not tell why her parents laughed so loudly at this, and why the counsellor's face turned so red, and he, for his part, did not laugh half so heartily this time, as he had done more than once before. It is likely there was some particular reason for it. Wonders upon Wonders In the sitting room of the doctor's house, just as you enter the room, there stands on the left hand, close against the wall, a high glass case in which the children preserve all the beautiful things which are given to them every year. Louise was quite a little girl when her father had the case made by a skillful joiner, who set in it such large, clear panes of glass, and arranged all the parts so well together, that everything looked much brighter and handsomer when on its shelves than when it was held in the hands. On the upper shelf, which Maria and Fred were unable to reach, stood all Godfather Drosselmeyer's curious machines. Immediately below this was a shelf for the picture books. The two lower shelves Maria and Fred filled up as they pleased, but it always happened that Maria used the lower one as a house for her dolls, while Fred, on the contrary, cantoned his troops in the one above. And so it happened today, for while Fred set his hussars in order above, Maria, having laid Miss Truncheon aside, and having installed the new and sweetly dressed doll in her best furnished chamber below, had invited herself to tea with her. I have said that the chamber was well furnished, and it is true. Here was a nice chintz sofa and several tiny chairs. There stood a tea table. But above all, there was a clean, white little bed for her doll to repose upon. All these things were arranged in one corner of the glass case, the sides of which were hung with pictures, and it will readily be supposed that in such a chamber the new doll, Miss Clower, must have found herself very comfortable. It was now late in the evening, and night indeed was close at hand, and Godfather Drosselmeyer had long since gone home, yet still the children could not leave the glass case, although their mother repeatedly told them that it was high time to go to bed. It is true, cried Fred at last, the poor fellows, meaning his hussars, would like to get a little rest, and as long as I am here, not one of them will dare to nod, I know that. With these words, he went up to bed. But Maria begged very hard. Only leave me here a little while, dear mother. I have two or three things to attend to, and when they are done, I will go immediately to bed. Maria was a very good and sensible child, and therefore her mother could leave her alone with her playthings without anxiety but for fear she might become so much interested in her new doll and other presents as to forget the lights which burned around the glass case, her mother blew them all out and left only the lamp which hung down from the ceiling in the middle of the chamber and which diffused a soft, pleasant light. Come in soon, dear Maria, or you will not be up in time tomorrow morning, called her mother as she went up to bed. There was something Maria had at heart to do which she had not told her mother though she knew not the reason why, and as soon as she found herself alone, she went quickly about it. She still carried in her arms the wounded nutcracker rolled up in her pocket handkerchief. Now she laid him carefully upon the table, unrolled the handkerchief slowly, 
and examined his wound. Nutcracker was very pale, but still he smiled so kindly and sorrowfully that it went straight to Maria's heart. Ah, Nutcracker, Nutcracker, do not be angry at Brother Fred because he hurt you so. He did not mean to be so rough. It is the wild soldier's life with his hussars that has made him a little hard-hearted. But otherwise he is a good fellow, I can assure you. Now I will tend you very carefully until you are well and merry again. As to fastening in your teeth and setting your shoulders, that Godfather Drosselmeyer must do. He understands such things. But Maria was hardly able to finish the sentence, for she mentioned the name of Drosselmeyer. Friend Nutcracker made a terrible wry face, and there darted something out of his eyes like green sparkling flashes. Maria was just going to fall into a dreadful fright when, behold, it was the sad, smiling face of the honest Nutcracker again which she saw before her, and she knew now that it must be the glare of the lamp which, stirred by the draught, had flared up and distorted Nutcracker's features so strangely. I'm not a foolish girl, she said, to be so easily frightened, and to think that a wooden puppet could make faces at me. But I love Nutcracker too well, because he is so droll and so good-tempered. Therefore, he shall be taken good care of, as he deserves. With this, Maria took friend Nutcracker in her arms, walked to the glass case, stooped down, and said to her new doll, Pray, Miss Clara, be so good as to give up your bed to the sick and wounded Nutcracker, and make out as well as you can with a sofa. Remember that you are well and hearty, or you would not have such fat red cheeks, and very few little dolls have such nice sofas. Miss Clara, in her Christmas attire, looked very grand and haughty, I would not even say muck. But why should I stand upon ceremony, said Maria, as she took out the bed, laid little Nutcracker down upon it softly, and gently rolled a nice ribbon which she wore around her waist, about his poor shoulders, and then drew the bedclothes over him snugly so that there was nothing to be seen of him below the nose. He shan't stay with the naughty Clara, she said, and raised the bed with Nutcracker in it to the shelf above and placed it close by the pretty village where Fred's hussars were quartered. She locked the case and was about to go up to bed when, listen, children, and softly, softly, they began to rustle and to whisper and to rattle round and round under the hearth, behind the chairs, behind the cupboards and glass case. The great clock whirred louder and louder, but it could not strike. Maria turned towards it, and there the large gilt owl that sat on the top had dropped down its wings so that they covered the whole face, and it stretched out its ugly head with a short, crooked beak and looked just like a cat. And the clock whirred louder in plain words, Dickory, Dickory, Dock. Whirr, softly, clock. Mouse King has a fine ear, purr, purr. Pum pum. The old song let him hear, purr, purr, pum pum, or he might run away in a fright. Now clock strikes softly and light. And pum pum, it went with a dull, dudden sound twelve times. Maria began now to tremble with fear, and she was upon the point of running out of the room in terror when she beheld Godfather Drosselmeyer who sat in the owl's place on the top of the clock, 
and had hung down the skirts of his brown coat just like wings. But she took courage and cried out loudly with sobs. Godfather Drosselmeyer, Godfather Drosselmeyer, what are you doing up there? Come down and do not frighten me so, you naughty Godfather Drosselmeyer. Just then, a wild squeaking and whimpering broke out on all sides, and then there was a running, trotting and galloping behind the walls, as if a thousand little feet were in motion, and a thousand little lights flashed out of the crevices in the floor. But they were not lights, no, they were sparkling little eyes. And Marie perceived that mice were all around, peeping out and working their way into the room. Presently it went, trot, trot, hop, hop, about the chamber, and more and more mice, in greater or smaller parties, galloped across, and at last placed themselves in line and column, just as Fred was accustomed to place his soldiers when they went to battle. This, Maria thought, was very droll, and as she had not that aversion to mice which most children have, her terror was gradually leaving her, when all at once there arose a squeaking so terrible and piercing that it seemed as if ice-cold water was poured down her back. Ah, what now did she see? I know, my worthy reader Frederick, that thy heart, like that of the wise and brave soldier Frederick Stahlbaum, sits in the right place. But if thou hadst seen what Maria now beheld, thou wouldst certainly have run away. Yes, I believe that thou wouldst have jumped as quickly as possible into bed, and then have drawn the covering over thine ears much farther than was necessary to keep thee warm. Alas, poor Maria could not do that now, for, listen, children, close before her feet, there burst out sand and lime and crumpled wall stones, as if thrown up by some subterranean force, and seven mice heads with seven sparkling crowns rose out of the floor, squeaking and squealing terribly. Presently, the mouse's body to which these seven heads belonged worked its way out and the great mouse, crowned with the seven diadems, squeaking loudly, huzzahed in full chorus as he advanced to meet his army, which at once set itself in motion, and hot, hot, trot, trot it went. Alas, straight towards the glass case, straight towards poor Maria, who stood close before it. Her heart had before beat so terribly from anxiety and fear that she thought it would leap out of her bosom, and then she knew she must die, but now it seemed as if the blood stood still in her veins. Half fainting, she tottered backward, when clatter, clatter, rattle, rattle it went, and a glass pane which she had struck with her elbow fell in pieces at her feet. She felt at the moment a sharp pain in her left arm, but her heart all at once became much lighter. She heard no more squeaking and squealing. All had become still. And although she did not dare to look, yet she believed that the mice, frightened by the clatter of the broken glass, had retreated into their holes. But what was that again? Close behind her, in the glass case, a strange bustling and rustling began, and little fine voices were heard. Up, up, awake, arms take, awake, to the fight, this night, up, up, to the fight. And all the while something rang out clear and sweet like little bells. Ah, that is my dear musical clock, exclaimed Maria joyfully, and turned quickly to look. 
She then saw how it flashed and lightened strangely in the glass case. There was a great stir and bustle upon the shelves. Many little figures crossed up and down each other and worked and stretched out their arms as if they were making ready. And now, Nutcracker raised himself all of a sudden, threw the bedclothes clear off, and leaped with both feet at once out of bed, crying aloud, Crack, 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 stupid pack, drive mouse back, stupid pack, crack, crack, mouse back, crick, crack, stupid pack. With these words he drew his little sword, flourished it in the air and exclaimed, My loving vassals, friends and brothers, will you stand by me in the hard fight? Straight away, three scaramouches, a harlequin, four chimney sweepers, two guitar players and a drummer cried out, Yes, my lord, we will follow you with fidelity and courage. We will march with you to battle, to victory or death. And then rushed after the fiery nutcracker, who ventured the dangerous leap down from the upper shelf. I was easy enough for them to perform this feat, for beside the fine garments of thick cloth and silk which they were made, the insides of their bodies were of cotton and tow, so that they came down plump like bags of wool. A poor nutcracker had certainly broken his arms or his legs, for remember, it was almost two feet from the shelf where he stood to the floor, and his body was as brittle as if it had been cut out of linden wood. Yes, Nutcracker would certainly have broken his arms or his legs, if at the moment when he leaped, Miss Clara had not sprung quickly from the sofa and caught the hero with his drawn sword in her soft arms. Ah, thou dear good Clara, sobbed Maria, how I have wronged thee. Thou didst certainly resign thy bed willingly to little Nutcracker. But Miss Clara now spoke as she softly pressed the young hero to her silken bosom. You will not, O oh my lord, sick and wounded as you are, share the dangers of the fight. See how your brave vassals assemble themselves, eager for the affray and certain of conquest. Scaramouche, Harlequin, chimney sweepers, guitar players, drummer, are already drawn upon below. And the china figures on the shelf stir and move strangely. Will you not, O oh my lord, repose upon the sofa, or from my arms look down upon your victory. Thus spoke Clara, but Nutcracker demeaned himself very ungraciously, for he kicked and struggled so violently with his legs that Clara was obliged to set him quickly down upon the floor. He then, however, dropped gracefully upon one knee and said, Fair lady, the recollection of thy favour and condescension will go with me into the battle and the strife. Clara then stooped so long, that she could take him by the arm, raised him gently from his knees, took off her bespangled girdle, and was about to throw it across his neck. But little Nutcracker stepped two paces backward, laid his hand upon his breast, and said very earnestly, Not so, fair lady, lavish not thy favours thus upon me, for... He stopped, sighed heavily, tore off the ribbon which Maria had bound upon his shoulders, pressed it to his lips, hung it across him like a scarf, and then boldly flourishing his bright little blade, leaped like a bird over the edge of the glass case upon the floor. You understand, my kind and good readers and listeners, that Nutcracker, even before he had thus come to life, had felt very sensibly the kindness and love which Maria had shown towards him. And it was because 
he had become so partial to her that he would not receive and wear the girdle of Miss Clara, although it shone and sparkled so brightly. The true and faithful Nutcracker preferred to wear Maria's simple ribbon. But what will now happen? As soon as Nutcracker had leaped out, the squeaking and whistling was heard again. Ah, it is under the large table that the hateful mice have concealed their countless bands, and high above them all towers the dreadful mouse, the seven heads. What will happen now? Good night. <laughs>